Well, good morning. Um, if you're joining us today, we've been going through a little mini-series where we've been studying the Lucan passages, the uh, songs of uh, praise in response to the birth of the Christ child. And so this morning we're continuing in that, praying through Christmas, and today we're going to be looking at Simeon's announcements. He has two of them, and they're both very important for us to understand truly who Jesus is. Uh, I would suggest to you that Christmas can be a time of either sentimentality or it can be a time of substance. Uh, the other day I was listening to Pandora. I had a Christmas station on, and it was, it was a good time. I was enjoying myself very much um, listening to some songs by guys like Bing Crosby and Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, uh, lyrics like, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, rocking around the Christmas tree. Uh, it's the hap happiest season of all. And this was a time where I was filled with warmth and nostalgia and sentimentality, and ultimately, I came to realize that these songs represent our cultural Christmas and are really void of all real substance and meaning, and to one degree, really, are very deceptive to what this season's all about. Very deceptive. And so, I would suggest to you that the way that you respond to Jesus in this Christmas season will show whether or not you celebrate a sentimental or a substantive Christmas. Tim Keller says, it's impossible to have met the real Jesus and be indifferent. You either bow down in wonder or you go away offended. This morning, it will be my joy, it will be my delight, and it will be my duty to introduce you to the true Jesus of Christmas, the Jesus that Simeon announced to us in this passage. And some of you may leave in a state of wonder and worship, and some of you may leave in a state of offense. but I intend to show you this Jesus from this passage and avoid all sentimentality. So join with me now as we read Luke 2. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 35 primarily, but I'm going to read verses 22 through 40 just to set the uh, stage, give us some context. So let's read that passage now together. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ." And when he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years, from when she was a virgin, 
and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we study this passage, I would just ask that you would do the very thing that you uh, announced to us in this passage, that you would reveal to us the true Christ, the Messiah, that you would bring us to a state of wonder or to opposition, that you would make it very clear in our hearts as you use Jesus as a sign that is opposed, as he reveals our hearts, that you would do that even now. But I pray for all of us to come closer to Jesus through this text through the gospel message. I pray that you would disrupt those who are too comfortable, and I pray that you would comfort those who are in fact disrupted this morning. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. So, let me first set the stage here. We're going to be working through this passage very closely, verses 25 to 35, so just follow along in the text. We're going to start by talking about the occasion of what Simeon's announcements are. So, what you see here is in verses 22 through 24, you see the occasion. And I'll read that for us again. It says, And when the time came for their purification, and he's referring there to Mary and to Jesus, the child who was born, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord which happens to be a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, if you happen to be poor. I would like you to look at this passage that it is referencing in Leviticus 12. I'm not going to spend time explaining that passage now, but check that out later on, Leviticus 12, and you'll understand exactly what laws are being talked about here for the purification of a woman in childbirth and for the firstborn son. Um, This passage comes right after Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, all of this may seem very superficial, but it's actually very substantial to this passage because what's happening here is this is all based on this occasion. The announcements that we're going to be talking about from Simeon are based on what's happening in this event of the family presenting Jesus to the temple. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about why that's important in just a minute. So let's look at the significance of Simeon. This comes in verses 25 through 27. Verse 25 is really important. I want you to catch this because verse 25 serves as kind of an introduction to who Simeon is. It says in verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is a very loaded verse that has a lot to tell us about who Simeon is, but what Luke is trying to do here is trying to tell you this guy's really important, and you need to listen to what he's about to tell you. This guy is extremely important. He is a man that's righteous and devout, and that's qualified by how he is waiting on the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit is upon him. The Holy Spirit is upon him, which means that he is going to be used as God's mouthpiece to communicate a very important message. This this expression, waiting on the consolation of Israel, this is kind of a unique expression that we probably don't grasp what it really means. But what this means is that it proves and it qualifies what it means for him to be righteous and devout. This man is waiting on the consolation of Israel, or the paraclesis, which if you uh, have heard of Jesus, or I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit being referred to as the paraclete, this means that he is the comforter. So what he's waiting for is the comfort of Israel, the restoration, the redemption. And this is tied into the very last 
section of this passage where Anna, the prophetess, is waiting on the redemption of Jerusalem. So what we see is that this individual represents ultimately all faithful Jews. And he is sandwiched right in between the pious and obedient parents, Mary and Joseph, who come to the temple. I said I was going to come back to this. I'm coming back to it right now. They circumcise Jesus in accordance to the law. They do all of this presentation uh, and the purification according to the custom of law. Then you have Simeon, and then you have Anna the prophetess, who is a very faithful widow. And so what you see in Luke's account here is that he's, he's showing us the significance of Simeon and these other individuals and how they are faithful Jews. They are very faithful Jews, and they're waiting on the redemption of Israel, the redemption of God's people through the Messiah. So this message is not just for the Gentiles. It is certainly for the Jews, and he's proven that here. And so then in verse 26, we see how this man, Simeon, is going to be used. It says in verse 26, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, the second use of the Holy Spirit there, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So this is incredibly significant because he's showing us that he is going to identify who the Messiah is, who the Christ is. This is the long-awaited servant of God that is used to uh, show us what comfort would look like in Isaiah 40 through 66. Another great thing for you to study later on. Isaiah 40 through 66, you're going to see the word comfort used throughout that passage or section of Scripture to introduce who this Messiah is going to be. And so this is what he's going to do. He's going to reveal who the Christ is. And then let's see what he actually did in verse 27. He says, And he came in the Spirit, the third use of the, the Holy Spirit there, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he starts saying something. So the stage has been set. The occasion is, is clear. He comes in the Spirit, and he comes to the significant place of the temple. This is the most sacred space in all of Israel to interrupt the parents on their way to present him to the temple. We, there's a lot about Simeon that we don't know, but what we do know is very important, and that he is taking up Jesus in his arms in this moment based on the, the Holy Spirit's leading and based on the, uh, the pious and obedient parents' obedience to bring them to the temple to present him. He, he has this moment of divine interruption where he takes Jesus in his arms and he eventually blesses God and says some really profound things. I want you to understand that as he takes Jesus into his arms, he's actually holding the name God saves. Jesus' name means God saves. And in this divine moment of interruption, Jesus' parents had come to present him to the Lord, but God was actually presenting Jesus to the world as the Christ. I'm going to say that again. Jesus' parents comes to present him to the Lord, but God was presenting Jesus to the world as the Christ. And even though they were interrupted, we see in verse 39 that they actually finished the job. They finished the task at hand. And so Luke, what he's doing here, this gospel writer, this historian, this man who is trying to communicate to us something so that we can have certainty concerning the things that have been taught to us, he is giving us a recap of all this that has happened and couching all of this announcement that Simeon's about to make um, in this extremely Jewish event with a man, Simeon, who is representative of the most godly of all Jews. And he's used by the Holy Spirit to show us the long-awaited Christ. And so Luke really wants us to listen to what he has to say. So we come to his direct speech. We come to the way that Simeon announces to us who Jesus is. 
And Simeon's kind of like somebody who comes up to you and says, hey, I've got good news and bad news. Which, which news do you want first? Except he doesn't let you answer. He just actually gives you the good news first, which we appreciate, I think. But then he does give us the bad news. So what we see in verse 28 and 29 is we see uh, that he offers praise and he experiences peace. Um, let's look at verses 28 and, uh, and 29. He, he took Jesus, God saves, up in his arms, and he blessed or praised God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. So what happens is this man, Simeon, he meets Jesus. He meets the real Jesus. And in that moment, he is swept up in what Tim Keller refers to as wonder and worship. He is swept up in that into a place of spontaneous praise where he starts praising God and blessing them. And then he says, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. And the reason he says this is because he has had a promise fulfilled. God has spoken to the fact that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. And here he holds Jesus, and he actually has that promise confirmed, and he blesses the Lord for that. And that small promise, that little promise that he would not see death until Jesus was revealed to him, it is indicative and representative of all of God's promises to us through the entire story of redemption that Jesus, the Messiah, the culmination of all redemptive history is going to come and now he is here. And so this little mini promise that he has fulfilled, it shows us so clearly the big promise that Jesus has come to save. And with that, Simeon says that he's prepared to depart in peace which is a way of him saying, I'm ready to die. My life's work is over. The task is complete. You have been faithful to me, and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. So what's happening here is that he's in Jerusalem, which literally means the city of peace, and he's holding Christ in his arms, who is the prince of peace. And here Simeon, through this, is now experiencing only the peace that Christ himself can offer us and he's ready to go. This week I had uh, a friend uh, named Mark uh, come to me on the phone, and he, it, was, it was a strange conversation, um, very random in fact. This is a guy that me and my, my family made friends with in Orlando when we lived there. He uh, happened to be our dog trainer, um, and at one time our dogs were extremely well trained, no comments now. If you've met my dog Max, you know that he has lapsed, and it's my fault. But um, this is a man who is extremely spiritual, very taken with the Eastern religions. Um, and he tells me on the phone that he is having advanced cancer. That, in fact, his prognosis is so bad that his death is imminent. And I've just struggled to understand, what, why now? Why, why are we talking about this now? I haven't talked to this guy in years. And... Over the course of our conversation, it becomes very clear to me that this man does not have peace. This man was wearing it the best he could, but this man was not at peace with his own mortality, facing death. And I think the way we should engage with this text at this point is just to, to wonder, how present is, is praise or wonder in my life? How, how present is peace in my life. In the face of death especially. Here's the reality. Everybody in this room is going to die. I wonder who's going to die first. I, I actually doubt that it's the oldest person in the room. 
I think statistics would support that. It's probably not the oldest person, which means it may be you. Are you prepared to die in peace like Simeon after having met the true Jesus this morning? We should live with the reality of our own eventual death. And meeting Jesus, the true Jesus, offers us a peace in the face of death that is incomprehensible to the world around us, such that my friend Mark, I don't think, can experience. The passage goes on where Simeon explains to us the salvation that is now before us, and he explains to us how this is a salvation that the faithful Jews that we've already mentioned should have and did expect, and all Jews should have expected with a proper reading of the Old Testament. In verses 30 through 31, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. So right now he's explaining his reason for praising God in the first place. And now he's also giving us this incredible messianic description of who Jesus is that's unexpected. He's saying salvation is here. Not only have I held and named the Messiah that I was promised that I would, I would see before I die. Now I'm, I'm actually laying my eyes on salvation. And to see Christ is to see actual salvation. You cannot distinguish between Jesus' character and His work. His person and his, his, his work in this world are the same to bring salvation. And this is why we have an exclusivity in our faith to the gospel message. This is how we as Christians would say, we have the only claims as to how someone is actually made right with God. And all the world religions are opposed to our religion because of this. They may have many differences, but they're all united in this one fact, that they don't like that claim that we make. Because we are a, a people and a faith that is based on the fact that Jesus has reconciled us to himself out of a gift that he has made right for us, our relationship with the Lord through His own atoning work where He gives us His right deeds and takes our wrong deeds for Himself. And all the world religions hate us for that. It's a gift of salvation, and it's not by works. And this is something that through the proper reading of the Old Testament, all the faithful Jews would have seen. He tells us in verse 31 that He, he tells us about this salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. He's telling us that this is not something new. This is something that you should have seen coming. This is the continuation and the culmination of God's redemptive story. All the faithful Jews, the pious parents, the righteous and devout Simeon, and the faithful widow, they all saw this, and they praised God for it. And then he tells us even more in verse 32. He tells us about the light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So he's telling us all about this. He's saying, this Christ that I've been promised to see, I've now seen this Prince of Peace who is himself salvation will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. He's showing us that the light has finally shone, as Isaiah says. My daughter Eden, she happens to be scared of the dark. This seems to be perhaps a truism of all kids. But as soon as the lights come on, she's okay. Because it illuminates and reveals what's been there. And she feels safe. My friend Mark lives in the dark. And he doesn't know what's really there. In this passage, we're seeing for the first time Luke announcing that this gospel message of salvation is coming to the whole world. And it brings light for revealing and illuminating what has been there the whole time. 
And that should not be a surprise to anybody who's been living in the Old Testament, the faithful Jews. And so he's showing us through this, this unbelievable message that the gospel is for the world. A light has shone, and it is bringing revelation. And so we have in this an invitation for all to walk in the light, an invitation to all see the truth and the substance of this true Christmas story of how Christ has brought salvation to the world and the reality that salvation is ours through Christ. That's what he's saying. But we also see here that it's the glory for the people Israel. And this, again, is the assurance that Christ is the pinnacle and fulfillment of the story so far. Anybody read the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones? Love that. Sally, in this book, says that every story in the Bible whispers his name. It's not always obvious, but the Old Testament, in every story, whispers his name, such that Jesus is the glory of the story, the pinnacle, the fulfillment. And this is a pretty profound announcement of salvation that Simeon makes to the his parents. And then in verse 33, we see their amazement. It says, and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him as they only could. I mean, that's an unbelievable thing to be told about your child, Jesus. But then Simeon comes back with the bad news. He's a good news, bad news guy. And he comes back with the bad news and he tells us about this opposition that will be facing both Christ and Christ's people. He says in verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. So what we see here is that there's a fall and a rising. What we need to understand is that Jesus inaugurates an upside-down kingdom. This upside-down kingdom is where the fall and the rising come about. So the religious elite, the high crust of society, the leaders, the rulers, the governors, the wealthy, the Pharisees, they're out. The self-righteous are out because they don't need Jesus. And yet those who are the most needy, the lowly, the weak, the poor, those filled with shame, the outcast, those are the ones that Jesus rises up because they need him. It's an upside-down kingdom. The religious elites in the high society, they're all offended, and they oppose Jesus. Yet, those at the bottom who need grace the most receive Jesus. But it's also an inside-out kingdom where those who look good on the outside, Jesus shows as moralist and legalist, to actually be whitewashed tombs filled with dead man's bones. And those who look bad on the inside, or bad on the outside rather, the sinners, the tax collectors, those who actually know that they need a Savior, Jesus redeems and acts as their Savior and brings them salvation. Through this passage, we see so clearly that Jesus is a sign that is opposed so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Jesus is the true litmus test of whether or not you stand right with God or not. How we respond to Jesus when we truly meet the real Jesus 
reveals whether or not we have a substantive Christmas and a true faith or a sentimental Christmas. So through this, we see that Simeon's bad news is also the first mention of what's to come in Jesus' life of opposition, where Jesus, he is the Messiah, but the people were not expecting this kind of Messiah. Jesus had this life of humility and love and genteel uh, meekness, but they were expecting a man of conquest and political rule, and so they opposed him. Everything about his life, including this birth narrative, really goes against the grain of what they were expecting and what they wanted. And so Jesus is rejected, he's beaten, and he's crucified. This is the opposition to Christ that we're talking about. But then you also see here this parenthetical statement in verse 35 where Simeon speaks to Mary and says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. This is him foreshadowing that Mary is actually going to witness the crucifixion and it's going to make her hurt so bad to see her own boy crucified. What we need to wrestle with is the fact that for any of us who call Jesus Lord and Savior, we're also going to have a sword pierce our own hearts as well that we are going to be opposed in the same ways that Christ and all of his people, to one degree or another, are opposed. Because Jesus is a sign that's opposed, he reveals hearts. He is the great litmus test. He shows us whether or not we respond to God in true wonder and worship or with offense. And so Jesus does reveal a Christmas of either substance or of sentimentality. Later on in Luke's gospel, in verse uh, 12, 51, Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but division. Do you know who he's talking about in that passage? He's talking about our families. And he lists all the different ways that we can have division between mother and daughter, father and son. This is the most intimate of all of our relationships. And so if that division would happen in our own families, wouldn't it also happen in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in every other relationship that we have? Should we not expect division? We should. If we call ourselves Christians, then we are actually taking on the identity of Christ. We are a Christian, which means we will be opposed as Christ was opposed in this life. And we will experience division in this life. And this is not a popular piece of the Christmas story. We don't have songs about this. <laughs> Yet. Andrew Peterson, if you are listening, please write a song about this. Maybe you already have. I recently had some family move to the area. Uh, very excited for me to, do, to have... Uh, an ability to spend time with my family, but my family wants to spend Christmas with uh, me and um, had to have a hard conversation about that where I explained how my family celebrates Christmas in a very Christocentric way, Christ-centered way, um, and that that conversation happened to be pretty off-putting right from the beginning, and um, it's because my family rejects Christ such that we can't have Christmas together. Such that we will merely have a holiday meal together. My family was unprepared for this. I think it was the beginning of a ultimate collision that we'll have to have and have hard conversations. You see, our cultural Christmas is filled with sentimentality, 
and is all about bringing family together, but a Christian celebration of Christmas, a, a worship of the Messiah, naturally brings division, such that you now, with me, we are celebrating our family Christmas together now as we worship the Savior together. This is a true family. You are my true family. And we worship the Lord together and celebrate Christmas both now and tomorrow night. And so the question should be raised, what do we pray? How do we pray through Christmas? How does Simeon teach us to pray through Christmas? Well, this is what I would suggest. Again, what Tim Keller says, it's impossible to have met the real Jesus and be indifferent. You either bow down in worship or you go away offended. Friends, if you have met the true Jesus this morning for the first time, I would suggest this. I would suggest you pray for His grace and you rejoice in the joy and the peace that He offers you with a relationship with Him. That's for you if you've never met Him before and today you experience a sense of wonder at the grace offered and the salvation that He brings. Perhaps you've met Jesus for the first time this morning and you're offended. You're welcome here. I would love to hear about that, and I'll buy the first round. I'd love to hear about that. And for you Christians out there who have met the real Jesus before, I have two things for you. First would be this. Give thanks and rejoice. This is a season of good tidings. God keeps his promises and has fulfilled and is fulfilling and will fulfill all of his promises and his perfect plan of redemption, such that we will ultimately meet the grown man Jesus face to face in heaven when he still has the nail marks in his hands. And he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Rejoice. And the second thing is this, that opposition is coming. I would ask that you pray like this, asking God to use you to bring about his light in the dark world around us. But that you would also ask for God's courage to prepare you to be rejected as those around you reject Christ himself. So with that, I offer you, my family, a Merry Christmas, and may we all celebrate a substantive one, worshiping the true Jesus, the Christ of faith. Let's pray together. Father, uh, thank you for making your salvation so clear. So clear in the person and work of Christ, in the flesh, the God-man. We thank you for this salvation, and we thank you that you also give our hearts peace and comfort as you have this world reject Christ and even us. And we would pray for the Chinese church even now, asking that you would give them grace and courage to withstand the